0: Good morning, if you would, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2. We will be continuing on in our series, The Empowered Church, and we'll pick up where Dr. Weldon left off a couple weeks ago as we begin the second chapter of Acts. Uh, Let's uh, pick up with verse 1 of chapter 2. And remember, this is the very Word of God. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pomplia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues, the mighty works of God. Let's pray together. Lord, it is our prayer that your spirit would work in a powerful way here this morning and that we'd see glorious and wonderful truths in this precious holy gospel of yours. We pray this In the strong and the powerful name of Jesus Christ, amen. Well, as you know, today is Mother's Day. And I think there's one thing in common with all good mothers, and that is they want the very best for their children. And they want to equip them to be able to succeed. And here, in our text this morning, we see that Jesus Christ has that exact same thought as it pertains to His church. In verse 1, we see that it is the day of Pentecost. And Pentecost occurred exactly 50 days after the end of the Passover feast. You can read about Pentecost in in Leviticus or in Numbers, and sometimes it's called the, the Feast of Weeks. Or sometimes the Feast of Harvest, they call it the Feast of Weeks because it was exactly seven weeks and one day when Pentecost would come. Or the Feast of Harvest because it was on Pentecost that you were to bring the first fruits of the harvest in for an offering. So let's, with that in mind as background, let's look more closely at the 50 days here that that we're talking about. It was 50 days earlier that Christ had been crucified. And as we know, since then, he had been resurrected from the dead, and he'd spent about 40 days uh, making different appearances to hundreds of people. And about 10 days before Pentecost, we read this in Acts chapter 1 and verse 4. And while staying with him, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, "Is is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of, ends of the earth. And when he said those things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. There are some very important days in the history of the world, starting with creation. During the span of six days, God created everything, and it was good. We have the incarnation, the second person of the Trinity who took on flesh, born of a woman, walked among men. You have Christ's death and then resurrection, where he conquered death. Now his people can be made righteous through his righteousness. The the ascension that we're just reading about where uh, Christ is, is taken up to heaven because he has completed his earthly ministry. And then there is Pentecost. Pentecost is it's often overlooked by many in Reformed thinking people because sometimes there can be uh, controversy or, or confusion over the Holy Spirit's ministry and, and how he works among God's people even today. And we're going to talk about that in, in a few minutes. Uh, but right now, I want us to be completely clear that this is one of the most significant days in the history of the world. And if you're a child of God, what happened on Pentecost happened with you in mind. Now, again, think about this, this seven-week period that is going on here. Uh, it it it's, probably is the most remarkable seven week period that the world has, has ever known. Christ was arrested and given a mock trial. He was crucified, dead, buried. He rises from the grave. He's seen. Uh, we see that he's physically whole, though, as he goes around and gives people close looks at, at him to prove that he is indeed who he says he is. He uh, gives the great commission during this time. And he does all of this for a very distinct purpose. He does all of this for equipping his disciples for the purpose of ministry. And he does all of this to equip us for ministry. The pouring out of the Holy Spirit onto his people was not just for Christ's people in Jerusalem on that morning. It was for all of his people for all time. Pentecost was not just an event for them. It was an event for you. When you're prone to doubt if Christ is really with you, if you're prone to doubt if you are really loved, if you're prone to doubt if what happens in your Christian life matters at all, then I encourage you to turn back to Acts chapter 2 and and be reminded that this is the day that Christ gave you His Spirit. It's a day that He came to prove Himself with you. You might be asking yourself, well, how does what happened 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem really make any difference to me today? And I think there's at least three very distinct areas in which we can see. This is not just a special event for those who are there, but it was for us also. It was our Pentecost. And you can see those three areas in your outline. We see that Pentecost, at Pentecost, we see that promises are fulfilled. And we see at Pentecost that there's power unsealed, and we see at Pentecost, Christ's purposes are revealed. Let's look at first at how the promises of God are fulfilled at Pentecost. Did you know that with the sending of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, God is affirming all of his promises to you are true? Well, it's true, and let me show you how we know this can be true. Uh, over in uh, John sixteen seven, Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, that's the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you'll see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and he will declare it to you. So what does that mean for us in regards to the promises being fulfilled? Well, here it is. Since the time of the fall of man, and of all of creation along with him. God has been at work redeeming his people. It starts with Adam, right there in Genesis 3.15. God promised he would send one to crush the head of the serpent. And then with Abraham, in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15, God begins to lay out, his covenant with Abraham, promising him a a land of his own and promising him that he was going to be the father of multitudes. And and it continues on with uh, Moses in Exodus 20, where God says, I will be your God. It goes on with as the covenant goes on through David, and God says, there's a redeemer coming from your seed, a, a, a king forever. You see, throughout the entire Old Testament, in, in, in the Pentateuch, in the Psalms, in the Proverbs, and all of the uh, wisdom literature that's there, uh, in, in the historical accounts, and Kings and Chronicles, and all the other historical accounts, and in, in all the prophets, there's one theme that runs through them all, and that is that God declares. And recommits over and over that he is going to redeem those whom he loves. The message from the fall of man on from God to people is just is, is this: I will be your God, and you will be my people. I have an unending uncompromising desire to be with you and to redeem every one of my people. You see, every single verse in the Bible from Genesis, from Revelation, explicitly or implicitly cries out, I love my people. And the redemption of all of God's people in the Old Testament and all of God's people in the New Testament, and all of God's people for the last 2,000 years, and everybody today, and all of God's people for the next 2,000 years, if He should tarry in His return, is found in one place, and one place alone. And that is our Lord Jesus Christ. There is no salvation apart from Christ. So here's how it all plays out. Christ came to earth. He lived a righteous life. He was crucified as a perfect man, yet he takes on the sins of his people. And as Paul tells us, he became sin for us. He died the painful and shameful death on a cross, bearing our sins. As we said earlier in our confession, he was crucified, dead and buried. But it doesn't stop there. We go on to say that on the third day he rose again from the dead. And as we've already looked at this morning, Christ ascended into heaven with his work complete. He is received and he's welcomed home. We go on the Apostle Creed to say he sits down at the right hand of the Father, which in the book of Hebrews is, is spelled out for us what, how important that is, because what it's telling us is that Christ's work is finished. The high priest can sit down. He has completed His task. But Christ did one more thing before He sat down. He took His Spirit and He hurled it down upon His church that morning at Pentecost. And on that very day, He declares to all of His people, I have done what I have come to do. Redemption is complete. The Father is satisfied. All of His promises have come true. All the promises of the Old Testament are are true and yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And they are all complete by Jesus doing His work. The sending of the Holy Spirit proves that God's promises are all true. And that Jesus has accomplished our redemption. I said a bit ago that that's important to us today. Why is that important? What happened 2,000 years ago for us today? Well, it's because of this, because God cares tremendously about his people. He loves his people. He pursued and redeemed His people at a great cost, the cost of His very own Son. So if God cares that much about saving you from your sins, don't you know that He cares about what's going on in your life today? You know, I know a lot of you, I know a lot of your stories. I know that some of you have heartache. That's almost unspeakable. The loss of a family member, uh, conflict in the home, uh, problems with friends, whatever it might be. Some of you, I don't know all that well. I, I don't know your stories, but I do know this that there's plenty of discouragements in this world. And I know that we can take heart because Jesus Christ has overcome. The world, the promises of God are endless. What we must do is understand that God's promises are not empty, but they're full and they're complete in the gospel. And in the gospel, there is real power that is unsealed for us. That's the second thing I want us to look at this morning, is the power that's unsealed. Look again with me at verses 2 through 6. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a, a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Folks, this is not just any ordinary day in the city of Jerusalem that morning. We see the Spirit of Christ coming. And, and, and when we read this, we see three distinct things that, that, that come along with it. We read about the sound of the rushing wind. We read about the, 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 the uh, tongues of, of divide, that are divided of, of fire which rest upon each person. And we read about the speaking in tongues. Let's look at each of those for Just a moment and uh, consider them first the, the sound of the mighty rushing wind Many of you are probably familiar that in the original languages the idea of, of wind and breath and spirit are all pretty much the same word What's interesting for us this morning is the reminder that just about any time God is about to do something great throughout the Bible we often see that it's accompanied by the Spirit or wind being around or or being involved. Think back to Genesis 1, uh, when we're told that the Spirit hovered over the waters while the earth was still formless and void. The Spirit is there blowing right before God decrees, let there be light. And then, The the crown jewel of creation, man himself. God makes him out of dust. Then what does he do? He breathes his spirit in him. And we could go on and on and look at examples uh, all day long. I'll just give you a couple more. You know, think back to uh, the Exodus. Exodus. When God's people are crossing the Red Sea, leaving the land of death, going to the land of promise, and what's there separating the sea but a mighty wind blowing, bringing bringing them and leading them to salvation? Ezekiel, when he's in that valley of the dry dead bones, right before God brings the dead to life, what happens? He calls for a powerful eastern wind to, bro- to blow and to bring new life. Where the Spirit blows, He brings life where there was no life. He brings power to the powerless. And for us, that starts when the Spirit blows into our dead hearts and regenerates them and makes them new. Before then, we're nothing more than just dead men Walking, The Pentecostal wind on this particular day is blowing into Jerusalem. And when they woke up this morning, there was no church. But as they went to bed that night, the church of Jesus Christ is established in a whole new way. And the Spirit brings new life to God's people in Jerusalem on this morning. And the next thing that we see are those uh, divided or, or cloven tongues of fire. You know, up to this point, God's dwelling place among His people has, has been a, a garden or, or a, a, a pillar or a cloud of fire and uh, the, the temple. A place where the people of God would go and to meet with Him. But on this day, all that changes. The tongues of fire come and represent to us God's new dwelling place is in his people by God's perfect design the spirit of Christ is in each one of his children if you're a Christian the spirit of Christ indwells you that's good news the final thing we read about here is the speaking in tongues of another language and this is certainly truly a remarkable event Again in, in verse 5, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? This is like the total opposite of the Tower of Babel that we read about in Genesis 11. You know, then God confused everybody's tongue because they were, for lack of a better term, getting too big for their britches, and they decided, hey, we can be more and more like God if we work on this together. Just a reminder that sinful people that uh, come together with more sinful people come up with sinful activities, but not on this day. On this day, God gave them a gift, a gift to be able to speak to one another, a wonderful, marvelous gift. But it was a gift with a true purpose. But before I get to that purpose, let me answer some of a thought that I'm sure some of you are having right now. What we see here today is a tremendous display of power. And it's common for people to ask this question. Well, where are my Pentecostal signs and gifts? Why can I not feel the power of the wind rushing through my hair or up against my face? Why can I have the Spirit with fire rest upon my shoulder? Why can't I speak in tongues to others? Well, here's the answer. Because you don't need to. These signs were foundational signs to the apostles at this time. I say foundational because Christ is beginning to build his church at this time. These things just pointed to Jesus as the architect of the church. These particular signs left with the death of the apostles. Now, some of you may be disappointed and think, well, that's not fair. I thought you said this was our Pentecost. Where are our signs? But here's the truth. We have something better. We have something more Powerful. We have the complete inspired Word of God given to us. And we can read it each and every day. You see, friends, the power is not in the signs, the power is in the Holy Spirit. We are recipients of the Spirit. So we are recipients. Of the Holy Spirit's power we're filled with the same spirit that we're reading about here this morning that's acting in such an incredible way but we have the whole counsel of God which as we read and study the spirit moves and he directs us according to his purposes so what is the purpose of all this going on at Pentecost what was it for them on that morning? And what is it for us this morning? That's the big question as we read this. Why Pentecost? Well, pick up again with me in the very last part of verse 11. And let's see how in this verse we see the purpose of Pentecost is revealed to us. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. The purpose of Pentecost is to bring about the inauguration of the Great Commission. You know, we see that over in Matthew 28. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded with you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He's with us through the Spirit. The purpose of Pentecost is to bring about the launching of what Jesus had told the disciples in, in chapter 1, verse 8 that we read a moment ago. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The purpose of of Pentecost is Jesus Christ establishing his church on this morning the people of God knew the promises of God were all true and they knew that they had the power and the Holy Spirit so they understood that the purpose was to tell others about the mighty acts of God and since this is our pur- our Pentecost you know what our purpose is it's to tell others about the mighty acts of God. We are to be gospel presenters. That's the purpose of being a Christian, is to expand God's kingdom. I'll be honest, my heart does break for some of you. Because I'm convinced some of you do not understand that we're saved for this real purpose. We're not just saved for saving's sake. But we are saved to do something. You are saved for, for, the, for the purpose of fulfilling the Great Commission. You are saved to tell about the mighty works of God here in Irmo, South Carolina and all around the world. yet some of you spend your days doing just about anything except for fulfilling your purpose. You chase after things of this world that don't mean anything. How about you today? Commit yourself to doing what God has purposed you to do. There are more opportunities to share the gospel than I could begin to lay out for you this morning. But here's just a few quick thoughts for you to consider. You want to share the gospel? You can work in the nursery. We share the gospel with our children in the nursery. If you can teach, teachers, we're always looking for qualified teachers. Of God's Word. You want to fulfill your purpose? Set aside that week in July and come work at Vacation Bible School, or come work at School Time Bible this fall. You want to fulfill your purpose of why you were saved? Why don't you consider going on a short-term mission journey? Those can be life-changing. You want to fulfill your purpose? How about going cross-culturally full-time? You say, that's not for you? Have you even prayed about it? Have you asked God, how can I fulfill my purpose? You know, the USA is full of churches and preachers, and there is a world out there where people have never even heard the name Jesus. You've been saved for the purpose of telling others about the mighty acts of God. By definition, if you're filled with the Spirit, you will love others. That's what John tells us in 1 John 4. There's no way to love more than by sharing Christ. We've seen how God is faithful to His promises. We've seen how He offers us real power to live. Why not rely on His promises and grab hold of His power and get busy fulfilling the purpose for which you have been given the Spirit of Christ? Let's pray together. Lord, we have looked at one of the most important days in the history of the world. In about 30 minutes, we've tried to summarize it. That's not adequate. Lord, I pray that the same spirit that we're reading about and talking about this morning will work the truths of of this passage into our hearts and minds over and over and over this week. May we be challenged to remember that you love us and you always keep your promises. May we be challenged to know that through life and the Holy Spirit, we have power. And Lord, may we be challenged to seek after you on what your purpose is for us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.